Please be seated. Please open your Bibles, if you have one, to Psalm 119. 119th Psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. You'll find the uh, notes in the bulletin or on our website. While you turn there, I'll give you some idea of how we're going to be studying this psalm. This morning's going to serve as an introduction and overview. Um, we are not going to get through this in a week or two. And given its length, um, what we're going to be doing is going through um, the next probably three or four weeks, most of January, or all of January, making a start in this psalm. And then we'll begin a study of James. And my plan is every few weeks to pause James and do the next eight verses, the next strophe of Psalm 119. And in that way, hopefully finish both James and Psalm 119 concurrently. Uh, I want to recommend to you a commentary, a devotional commentary, an exile's guide to walking with God, meditations on Psalm 119. I have found very profitable and helpful. There will be about four or five of these in the bookstore. And so if you want to go deeper with Psalm 119, I have found this a great blessing. Let me just put this off of here because my platform is full, full of things here. Um, with that said... Let me give you a further rundown of our time this morning. Um, I'd like to go over um, some introductory issues, help you frame the book and think about it rightly, um, go through some of the key terms and themes, and then I'd like to read Psalm 119. It only takes about 13, 14, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you read. It's quite manageable. And I, I want to read it through, and then we'll have a time of communion. So let's begin by diving into... Psalm 119, considering the authorship and structure of the psalm. Now, authorship, your blank here is it's unknown. There is no title to the psalm, nor, as we are given with other psalms, is there a New Testament identification of the author. In the book of Acts, we learn Psalm 2 is of David. I mean, it's kind of obviously of David, but we get it clear from there. So here is a psalm with no title, (coughs) no direction, no musical notation, It just stands. It's the longest composition of poetry in Scripture. And yet, even though we do not know the author, I think from the internal evidence of the psalm itself, we can make an educated guess that it is likely an exile. Someone in the Babylonian exile, or their turn from the exile. Why why do I say that? First, if you look at verse 19, there's a confession of pretty much that. Psalm 119, verse 19, I am a sojourner on the earth. There's no mention of the worship structure, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the temple in Psalm 119. It's not there. And what you do find are actually foreign people are present. Look at verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me. Or verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. So foreign kings and princes are in view as enemies or as people the psalmist may speak to. He can call himself a sojourner. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. This, this is a person in a hostile environment. Many enemies, many adversaries, kings, princes, no mention of the temple. So a good fit is someone living in the exile. In fact, the author of that commentary I 
recommend. He suggests Daniel in Babylon, and, and certainly we couldn't be dogmatic. It's a good fit. Someone who's sojourning in a foreign land, someone with the potential of speaking before kings, someone who has princes plotting against him, someone who can say, I'm wiser than all my counselors because I study your word. It's as good a fit as any. And so as you read it, something like that is in view. That's the authorship. Ultimately unknown, but likely in exile. Likely in exile. Now, the structure of the psalm itself is quite notable. It is an extended, an acrostic poem. An acrostic poem. If you don't know what an acrostic is, it follows a mnemonic device where each letter of the alphabet indicates how the line starts. So there are a couple acrostic poems like this in um, the Psalter. Nothing on this scope. So in English, it would be as though having the first line begins with A, and the second line begins with B, and the third line begins with C, and so forth. Except here is Aleph, Baith, Gimel, and so on. And instead of one line devoted to each letter, eight verses to each. So eight verses, all starting with Aleph, and then Beit, and then Gimel, and Dalit, and so on. It's a massive composition. Uh, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 strophes, the term for those eight-verse chunks. So eight verses, each starting with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, it's, it's unparalleled. There are other acrostic psalms, but nothing on this scope or size. What is, what's the purpose of that? Why, why have that? I want to suggest three um, reasons or three implications of the structure. First, it signifies the completeness of theme and content. This is a psalm literally from A to Z. This is complete and comprehensive in its scope and its topic. It's not a little stab at something. It's it's the whole kit and caboodle. This is a comprehensive, full treatment. And the the acrostic pattern conveys that, the comprehensiveness. Um, Listen to verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Secondly, I'd suggest that it displays order in a chaotic and hostile world. The psalmist is dealing with the chaos and the hostility of the world. There are a number of verses that indicate this. Let me read a few of them to you. Verse 22, he pleads, take away from me scorn and contempt. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me. Verse 25, my soul clings to dust. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Verse 51, the the insolent utterly deride me. Verse 69, the insolent smear me with lies. Verse 107, I am severely afflicted. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. 161, princes persecute me without cause. The psalmist is dealing with danger, strife, chaos around him. And here, in contrast to that, is perfect order, symmetry, structure, purpose. The psalm displays that. God's wisdom, the orderliness of his mind. And third, it aids for memorization. 
That's the best thing we can understand. You know this. If you've tried to learn music, all good boys deserve fudge or do fine, right? You're trying to learn the letters in the clef. We learn mnemonic devices to memorize things. Same here. That suggests to you that God's purpose is that many of his people would actually memorize this psalm. This is the scope and the understanding that Scripture gives for us. Um, if God says, here, I'll make memorizing this easier for you, what does that imply? Much, many, most of us should be memorizing Psalm 119 and passages like it. Uh, notably, William Wilberforce, who was so uh, influential in ending the British slave trade, memorized this and would recite it every day walking to Parliament. Because as my wife points out, once you've memorized it, you don't want to be the person who forgot it. So you've got to keep it up, obviously. Um, so those are at least three implications of the acrostic nature of the letter, of the psalm. It's not a letter. See, I got my head in James and Psalm 119 simultaneously, which is probably not a good thing. So it, it signifies the completeness of the content and theme. It displays order in a chaotic and hostile word and aids in memorization. Well, what's it about? And for those of you who've read it, I'll ask you to do a little experiment. Think about what would you say Psalm 119 is about? And odds are, many of us um, come up with almost a sort of negative perspective. We, we know it's about Scripture. We know it's about the Bible. Author David Pallison says this. He has a very helpful article in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. And he, he does the same sort of thought experiment, what comes to your mind. And he, he writes, there's the common negative reaction to Psalm 119. Many people feel a little queasy or burdened down when they approach this psalm. The seemingly relentless, read your Bible, memorize scripture, emphasis can come across as moralistic, like the exhortations tacked on at the end of a bad sermon. Your relationship with the Lord seems to hinge on dutiful performance of quiet time. But somehow you've always been too busy or too distracted to get it right, unlike the warm, intimate promises of people's favorite psalms, like Psalm 23 or 103. This psalm can seem biblistic. Maybe, maybe that's where you're coming from. It certainly, I think, is a common enough um, thought of Psalm 119. I think it's wrong. I think it's off. One of the reasons why I want to study this and study it at length is I think there's so much more here than that. I'll start by suggesting that the single longest psalm with such structure brings attention and prominence to it. The, the, the longest psalm that God wrote probably deserves our full attention. And so, you're blank here for point C. What is it? It is a prayer to the God of the Word about the Word of God. A prayer to the God of the Word about the Word of God. Um, it's notable that nearly every verse in this psalm mentions God's word one way or another. Uh, the only three verses I could find that don't are listed next to your blank there. So in over 160, 170 verses, I found three that don't directly reference God's word. So that is clearly, absolutely a central theme. In fact, in a few minutes, we're going to look at some of the key terms. Absolutely. But there's another set of words that shows up even more commonly than words for God's word. Nearly every verse contains one word speaking of God's word. 
But there's about a four to one ratio of the other words I want to suggest to you. Um, And that is nearly every verse is spoken to God himself. And therefore, I, me, my, you, your words dominate this psalm. David Pallison, following up his initial thought about how we may consider this psalm, writes this. Far and away, the most common words are first and second personal pronouns. I, me, my, mine, and you, your, yours. Psalm 119 is the most extensive I to you conversation in the Bible. Only the first three verses talk about people in general. You'll notice that the first three verses talk about, they starts with the beatitude. After that, the fourth verse begins to personalize things. We stand accountable to you. After that, it's off to the races for the next 172 straight verses. I, your servant, talks to you, the Lord God, who speaks and acts whom I need and love. In other words, Psalm 119 is a personal prayer. It's talking to, not about God. It's not teaching or instruction fundamentally. It's a prayer. It's, it's, it's intimate communication with the living God, the God of the word, about the word of God. Okay? So that's authorship and structure. Now, let's talk about some key terms. Key terms. As you read through this, a lot of words are used to reference God's word, but eight of them um, sort of dominate, and they get a pretty even distribution among the eight. Now, given the fact that we all may be using different translations, I tried keying them in with the ESV. Um, but let's start by looking at eight synonyms used to speak of God's word. And, and, and while we look at these, I just want to give you some idea of what aspect of God's word is being highlighted by each of these. I wouldn't want to view them as totally distinct, or he's using this word, he's talking about this, but rather, what do these eight words bring? Where, where do they highlight the word of God? What, what emphasis might they bring? The most common word is law. Law. And the word literally means teaching. To point out. Teaching and instruction. God's law is his teaching and instruction. In verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And I think the word for plotting there is even that word for teaching or pointing out or considering. And so God's word, first and foremost, is his instruction and teaching for us, which of course assumes we need to be taught. The Bible does not assume we are self-sufficient sources of truth. If you've ever heard someone say, follow your heart, follow your intuition, be the real you, that's all rooted upon the false assumption that you, I, really am a source of truth. I inherently know what I need to do. I just need to be me. The Bible assumes the opposite. We need instruction. We need revelation. If God did not condescend down to us and speak to us, we could not know him. And so God's law is his teaching. Second most common word is the word word. Now, this is a general term of God's word in any form. It's not particularly emphasis. It's just any form of God's word is his word. Third, occurring 23 times, God's testimonies. God's testimonies. Now, here, the emphasis is on covenant and faithfulness. You can listen to a passage in Deuteronomy 31. Take this book of the law, put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness or a testimony against you. 
The idea is here of a record. And usually connected with God's covenant and his covenant faithfulness. God's testimonies. Next, we have his commandments. Again, 23 times. And here, the emphasis would fall upon God's authority and right to speak. It's highlighting the one who speaks having authority, having that right, his commandments. Um, Fifth, we have rules, or some of your translations, judgments. And here the focus is on what has God decided on? What has God made a decision concerning? God's decisions. God has decided what he thinks of something. He tells us. God has made a decision about what should be done. And God's rules or judgments. That's, that's the slight emphasis. Sixth, statutes, 21 times. And here the emphasis is on the binding force and the permanence of what God has said. The binding force and permanence of what God has said. Listen to verse 89 of this psalm. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's statutes, that which endures, that which stands fast, that which does not change. His precepts, now this Hebrew word comes from the idea of taking particular attention at something or oversight. It's used in Jeremiah 23.2, where God speaks of the bad, false shepherds. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend, pay attention, to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And so the idea here is God's order and pattern with a focus on attention to detail. His oversight, particular focused oversight, God's precepts. And finally, um, even though in the ESV it shows up as word as well, a different Hebrew word underlining God's word or his promise. And here is that which God has spoken. That which God has spoken. Now there are other terms that show up as well. Testimonies. Well, no, testimonies is one of them. Um, But... I just want to challenge you as we come into this to consider what God's word to us is. If God has spoken, and he has, then this is the only way we can know anything about him. God being God is not something that we can reason our way up to. We need him to reveal himself to us. And then we find out not only does he reveal himself to us, he reveals ourselves to ourselves. We can make light of who and what we are. We can understand him We can understand ourselves, and then maybe we can begin to make some sense of the world around us. And so God is is spoken a word that endures, that lasts. He's given judgments. When God declares something to be good, it is good. When God declares something wrong, it is wrong. It doesn't matter whether 67% of polled people say God by himself is a majority. Because he has authority. Because what he says has power and force and and authority behind it. It's not just his opinion. God has been kind enough to teach us. Because we need instruction. So those are some key terms. But there's another set of key terms I've already hinted at or referenced. And that point B is terms that communicate the psalmist's relationship with God. Terms 
that communicate the psalmist's relationship with God. You and your. Because this psalm deals with a person. Yes, it talks about God's word, but it is talk to God about God's word. This psalm is speaking to a person, a divine person and king. So this is not some treatise or meditation on scripture. This is communication to someone about scripture. And of course, the other set of words that dominate I, me, and my, because this psalm is intensely personal. In amidst all of the language about how great, how good, how wonderful God's word is, is the psalmist's own life and struggle, his own suffering, his own anguish. This psalm contains lament, cries for help, enemies, adversaries, traps, plots. Even though princes sit and plot against me, or my soul clings to the dust, or verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Verse 107, I'm severely afflicted. So so don't view this as a sterile treatise on Scripture. This is a flesh and blood worshiper of God dealing with the variegated troubles in life, much trouble, praying out, pouring his heart out to God, and it centers around the Word. his, His thoughts are directed by and related to the word. And that should be instructive for us in how we relate to life and life's problems. I want to suggest to you finally three key themes in this psalm. Three key themes. Look for these as I read it through in a few minutes. And here maybe we can find some sort of application for ourselves. Um, and, And these three themes are this. First, praise. Praise. This psalm contains numerous um, just praises of God and his word. The glories of the word. Let me just read some of these to you. Um, Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Verse 54, your statutes have been my song in the house of my sojourning. Verse 62, at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And this type of praise and joy and satisfaction in the midst of the suffering and the conflict and the trials this psalmist is experiencing. So what can we get from that? We want to imitate that. We want that to be the song of our lips. We want this to be the cry of our heart. We want the delight of this psalmist to be our delight. And so as you read through, as we read through this psalm, take note of the types of utterance that should mark a believer, a believer striving, suffering, in anguish, whose soul is cleaving to the dust, yet delighting in God's word. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. 
My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night so that I can meditate on your promise. And keep in mind, when the psalmist wrote this, he is only talking about the Old Testament. Maybe you view the Old Testament as that confusing, sort of odd book. This, this is the psalmist's passion for, hunger for the Old Testament. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Psalm 164. I, I really don't think God can have us be too passionate, too hungry for, too consumed with his word. You read through scripture, Deuteronomy 6, whether you're in the way, whether you're rising, whether you're working, whether you're going about your day, these rules should be on your lips, on your tongue, on your mouth. You get the impression that really we could be thinking about, talking about, meditating on God's word all the time. And, and this psalm will show why. Because the psalmist is finding life and strength and comfort and hope in God's word. It's not just some moralistic activity. It is life and death. It is survival. Because our second theme that comes out in the psalm, first praise, is petition. Petition, cries for help. Now these petitions tend to focus around two themes. Um, The most dominant is petitions that God might teach the psalmist his word. Open his eyes to understand it. Instruct him. Turn his heart towards it. And, and here we see some of the reality that we may be helpless. We, you know you should be excited about Scripture, but you're more excited about the next episode of your favorite show. Okay, then pray what the psalmist prays. Verse 18. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The clear implication. Unless you give me eyes to see. This is going to look dull and boring. God, open my eyes. I know there are glories to behold here. I know there's wonders to be seen. Would you open my eyes that I might see them? Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. God, my heart's not naturally inclined to love your testimonies. Please incline my heart to your testimonies. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. So this, the psalmist knows he needs more passion, more love, more interest in God's word, and he asks God for it. You may have noticed that I cite verse 18 virtually every Sunday morning in one form or another. Because we can read this book, and if God's spirit doesn't open our eyes, give us ears to hear. Take hearts of stone and place them with hearts of flesh. There's, there's no profit in it. And so we pray, God, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. Or just look at the series of petitions that start in verse 33. I'll just read that whole strophe. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with your whole heart. Lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. 
It's just full of petitions. What types of things should we be praying for? What types of things should we be asking for? Psalm 119 has much to teach us about that. Not only is the psalmist crying out that God might help him to understand God's word, but it's also practical. He's it's dealing with the threats, the dangers that he faces. Many times, give me life, revive me. Verse, I'll just show you some of these. Look, look at um, this theme of life. Verse 37, turn my eyes, well, actually verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. Verse 88, in your steadfast love, give me life that I might keep your testimonies of your mouth. Verse 93, I will not forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. Verse 107, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Verse 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Now the psalmist is crying out for instruction. The psalmist is crying out for strength. He's crying out for deliverance. Redemption, salvation. Another one of my favorite verses in, in this psalm. Um, it's so simple and so profound. Look at verse 94. I am yours. Save me. I am yours. Save me. So praise dominates this psalm. Petitions dominate this psalm. The third thing I would suggest to you that is Dominated in the psalm. And that is promise. Promises. The psalmist promises response. He recognizes he has responsibilities to act. So he calls on God to do things for him. And he's not entirely passive. Now it's not tit for tat. You do this for me and I'll do this for you. A lot of his requests are enable me to do this so that I can do that. Verse 7. I'll praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules. Verses 15 to 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He recognizes that with all of his requests, God, open my eyes. Direct my heart. Give me understanding. Well, if he expects God to answer that, he better be faithful with that answer. He better devote himself to the study of the word. He better give himself to meditating on scripture. If you're asking for God to help you, you need to be willing to act on the help he gives. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Verse 24, 
Verse 27, make me understand the ways of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, verse 33, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. So tied in with the requests and the petitions is the psalmist's recognition. He wants to act. He wants to do things. In fact, frequently the the prayer requests are to enable him to do those things. And so we see from this, we have a responsibility of response to God's word. Maybe the response is recognizing your dullness of heart. Okay, pray verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies, O Lord. Maybe, maybe your response is, I ought to delight in God's word. I ought to be excited about this. I don't. I'm not. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things in your law, O Lord. Wherever you're at, this psalm has instruction for us. Whether you're at the dull, cold-hearted, blind stage, or you're praying for sight, a devoted heart, or maybe you're just praying for understanding, or maybe verse 32, enlarge my heart. Maybe you're weak and tired and faint, and you're praying, give me life in your righteousness. But there's a response the psalmist is pursuing and and wants to do for the Lord, and he's telling the Lord what he's going to do. So, So in this, he's asking God to act even as he views his own future actions as well. So there's praise, there's petition, there's promise. Our time is nearly at an end. I'd like to now read Psalm 119. Shouldn't take more than 13 or 14 minutes. And I'd encourage you to read this with regularity, I'd ask you if, you if you'd consider to read it at least once a month as we get ready to study it. I won't read it every time we study it. I'll do it now and at the end, but this is a remarkable psalm. Look for those things, the praise, the petitions, and the promises. And after the first three verses, he's just talking to God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In your way are your testimonies I delight. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live 
and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me the scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the ways of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. And shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think of my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth is, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, 
according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet... I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They've also made an end of me on the earth. I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep your testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never Forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not 
forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge for good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. 
Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace of those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. And your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules keep me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's have a word of prayer as we prepare for communion. Lord God, we have gone astray. Seek us. Our hearts incline towards other things. Turn them to your word. Give us life according to your word and promise. Give us understanding. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.